we have reached the end or the consummation of our sermon series, PS 23. One of the best known Psalms and passages in the Bible, Psalms 23, is considered the jewel of jewels. In this world, there is no greater wisdom than this, which is why Charles Haddon Spurgeon called it life's pearl. You see, Psalms 23 is a beautifully worded poem from David. David knows what it is to be a shepherd and what a shepherd does. So combining his uh, own personal experience of tending sheep and his knowledge of the Lord, he describes God in an accurate, accurate yet familiar way. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor, my, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And as I was preparing for my section of Psalms 23, I was reminded of a movie that I saw a while back, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. You see, having been born under unusual circumstances, Benjamin Button ages in reverse and is sprung into life as an elderly man in a nursing home in Nolens. Not New Orleans. My mom would have smacked me in my mouth if I said New Orleans. Nolens. So after 12 years of his birth, he runs into this girl named Daisy. And Daisy comes in in and out of his life as she grows up to a world-renowned dancer. You see, Benjamin has had all sorts of adventures over the course of his life. However, it is his relationship with Daisy and the hope that they will be reunited at the right time is what's keeping him going forward. You see, Daisy and Benjamin have various events that happen in their life, and they work extremely hard to bring their lives together. But because of their different fates, their romantic relationship is short-lived. You see, as Daisy gets older, Benjamin actually gets younger. Their lives literally pass each other by. And we get a glimpse of their drastically different fates when we see this conversation between Daisy and Benjamin, where Daisy asks Benjamin, would you still love me if I were old and saggy? Pause. Men, look at me. The answer to this question is always yes, unequivocally yes, without a shadow of a doubt, yes. If you answer or slow answer this question, it might lead to your demise. So men, you're welcome. So Daisy asks Benjamin, would you still love me if I were old and saggy? And Benjamin replies by saying, would you still love me if I were young and had acne? If I was afraid of what's under the stairs? Or even if I end up wetting the bed? You see, the curious case of Benjamin Button is a sobering reminder that whether you wet the bed coming in or wet the bed going out, our lives are defined by opportunities, even the ones we miss. As we all know, hindsight is 2020. Oftentimes, life can only be understood backwards, yet it must be lived Forward, here's a thought for you. If you knew how your life would end, would it change how you lived? Like if you knew how your life would end, would it change the way you lived? If you knew how your book would close or the last chapter in your book, would you want to return or revisit to some events in your life? You see, at the beginning of the movie, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a blind clockmaker is commissioned to design a clock for a tra train station nearby. 
He builds one that runs backwards. And when he's asked, why would you do such a thing? He replies by saying, I made it that way. So that perhaps the boys that we lost in a war might stand and come home again. Home to farm, work, have children, to live long, full lives. Perhaps my own son might come home again. Home. Of all the places we've been, home is the best. And in Psalms 23, verse 6, we arrive home. We've come to a place of permanence. We've come to stay. But before we get cozy and snuggle in, I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not, text it to yourself. Where you live is determined by where you dwell. Where you live is determined by where you dwell. If we were to be honest this morning, some of us are still living in the death of a spouse or loved one. When your life is so deeply entwined with another person, Losing them can be agonizing and even lead us to question our own existence. Some of us are living in a separation or divorce from a spouse. Even if you knew it was for the best, divorce and separation can still be difficult because it causes us to readjust our life as usual. And some of us are living in our last layoff or firing. You see, losing your job can be a huge source of stress. It can actually lead to financial anxiety and, for some people, a loss of identity. So where are you living? Where are you living? And I'm not talking about your physical address. I'm talking about the thoughts that take residence up in your mind. What are you dwelling in or dwelling on? Because where you live is determined by where you dwell. So if you would, would you please open your Bibles, tablets, phones, if you have an Android, we'll pray for you, and meet me in Psalms 23. Psalms 23. Yeah, they need a little bit more Jesus. All right, Psalms 23. So that we can look at where we're called to dwell. And when you got it, say got it. Amen. Well, let me say a quick word of prayer, and then we will dive right in. Dear Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see, ears to see, to hear, hearts and minds that are open, and faith to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalms 23, starting in verse 6, reads like this. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. When reading Psalms 23, we must keep in mind that David is writing from the perspective of sheep sheep who are reflecting on and recounting their entire year. A vocational shepherd by the name of Philip Keller puts it this way. Here is a sheep so utterly satisfied with its lot in life, so fully contented with the care it receives so much at home with the shepherd, that there is not a shred of desire for change. From the green pastures and still waters of the home ranch, The shepherd leads his flock up the high mountain passes to the tablelands for the summer. When autumn comes around, the sheep are then pushed back down to the home ranch by storms, rain, sleet for the long, quiet winter. In a sense, it's like returning home. They return to the shepherd's home. They return to the pastures. They return to the corrals. They return to the barns and to the shepherd's home. 
I will live in the house of the Lord forever, conveys an image of sheep who have just returned home and are now standing at the fence bragging to their less fortunate neighbors about the amazing year that they have just had with their shepherd and the trust that they have in him, the complete trust that they have in him. There are times when I feel like we as Christians should do the same. You see, it is a privilege to belong to Christ. I said it is a privilege to belong to Christ. We should feel free to boast about our shepherd's capabilities. We should be excited to talk about all of the ways in which he has provided for us. We should not hesitate to talk about all of the amazing and disheartening things he has walked us through. We should not be ashamed of our faith. In our boldness, we should proclaim how mighty our shepherd truly is and how it is a blessing to be a part of his household. You see, me, myself, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Eternal life is a gift that most of God's children don't even know they have. And it should instill in us a thankfulness for all that he has done for us. Listen, as I said earlier, where you live is determined by where you dwell. Are you living in the thankfulness of all that the shepherd has done for you? Or do you find yourself always complaining, murmuring, finding some reason or fault not to go with the shepherd? Because again, where you live is determined by where you dwell. Where do you live? And can you say with confidence, I will live in the house of the Lord forever? Oddly enough, many commentators suggest the meaning here in verse 6 has to do with spending eternity in heaven. However, this idea is not derived from this text. You see, there is a future expectancy to living in the house of the Lord, as in living in eternity with God, but that does not come from this text. That does not come from Psalms 23, verse 6. You see, rather than living in eternity, the Hebrew word should be translated as shub, which means to turn back or return to, thus indicating an expectation of returning to the house of the Lord as sheep return to the house of their shepherd. Which begs the question, where is the house of the Lord? Or even how do we get there? Well, the answer to this question is easy, but it's not simple. You see, David wrote another psalm, Psalm 122, verse 1, in which he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. You see, David recalled his delight in going up to Jerusalem, which was the spiritual and civic center of the nation. David expresses his joy at worshiping in the Lord's temple. So one could say that the house of the Lord is in Jerusalem, except there was this guy by the name of Jesus. Son of God, Savior of the world, Lord of Lords, Kings of Kings. You might have heard of him. In a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus says this, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus would go on to say, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So on one hand, you have David who says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to Jerusalem and worship the Lord. But then you have Jesus who says, it doesn't matter where you go. 
What matters is that you worship. Which leads me to say this. The worship of God reveals the presence of God. And the presence of God reveals the house of the Lord. I think I said that too quick. I think I said it too quick. Sorry. I said the worship of God reveals the presence of God. And the presence of God reveals the house of the Lord. So where is the house of the Lord wherever his presence is found? So, said another way, if we desire to live in the house of the Lord forever, we must choose each day to dwell in his presence. So, how do we get there? How do we dwell in the Lord's presence? Because our study of Psalms 23 has been centered around this theme. You see, in the sheep's perspective, knowing the Lord or the shepherd is nearby relieves most dangers and difficulties. At the same time, it provides a sense of security and peace of mind. But again, that's sheep. So how do we get there? Well, I'm so glad you asked. You see, first, we must see his presence in our provision. We must see his presence in our provision. Verse 2 and 3 read like this. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Oftentimes, when we look at these verses, it's easy to envision a picture of serenity and tranquility. Though these verses offer that to some degree, the more accurate picture that we should see is the shepherd's provision. When we read verses 2 and 3, we should acknowledge the shepherd's provision because it's true. Sheep do not lie down easy. It is only the presence of the shepherd that puts them at ease. Therefore, green meadows represent a place of rest that the shepherd provides for the sheep. But green meadows also represent the food that sheep enjoy. It represents the substance that will provide nourishment to and for their bodies. Unfortunately, green meadows don't happen by chance. You see, green meadows are the work and result of tremendous work and tremendous labor and tremendous time. They are a result of clearing rock roughy land, of tearing out brush roots and stumps, of deep plowing and careful soil preparation, of seeding and planting special grains, of irrigating with water and managing with care, all to provide forage for the sheep. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. You ready for this? The only work that sheep have in the the production of green pastures or green meadows is to lie down and eat. The only work that sheep play in the work of green meadows is to lie down and eat. I got a question for you. When's the last time God provided for you? I mean, like, really provided for you. You see, it can be easy for us to look back on our lives and see the times in which God has provided for us. We can look back and see how he provided for us in that lucrative business deal that we closed a year ago. We can see him in that house that we just bought a month ago. We can even see him in that timely check that came through a couple of weeks ago. But here's the problem. If all we have is what God has done for us, then there's a good chance we're missing what God is doing for us. Y'all better wake up this morning. I said, if all we have is what God has done for us, then there is a good chance that we're missing what he is doing for us. For instance, oxygen. 
We all need oxygen to survive. You would think that oxygen is pretty important, correct? We also need adequate oxygen levels to survive. And oxygen, if we're deprived of it for even a short period of time, we will die. Oxygen fuels our cells and provides our bodies with the building blocks that they need. And oxygen is also a particularly important part of our immune system. It is used to help kill bacteria, and it fuels the cells that make up our body's defenses against viruses and other invaders. Do you know how the human body produces oxygen? It doesn't. The human body is incapable of producing oxygen, yet we need it. We need it like sheep need green pastures and still waters, and it is only the shepherd who provides it. You see, every breath that I take reminds me that my shepherd is nearby. It reminds me that my shepherd is providing for me. It allows me to see what he is doing. And if we desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we must see his presence in our provision. The second thing we must do is see his presence in our protection. We must see his presence in our protection. Verses 4 and 5 read, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Again, that vocational shepherd, Philip Keller, puts it this way about dark valleys. He says, It is customary to use this verse as a consolation to those who are passing through the dark valley of death. But even here, for the child of God, death is not an end, but merely the door into a higher, more exalted life of intimate contact with Christ. Death is but the the dark valley opening into an eternity of delight with God. It is not something to fear, but an experience through through which one passes on the path to a more perfect life. Okay. As I read this, I found myself wanting to ask Mr. Keller some very important questions. Questions such as, what do you do when these verses don't bring you consolation? Like, what do you do when the truth of these verses don't relieve the pain? What do you do when you're still mourning? still mourning the loss of that business, still mourning that failed marriage, still mourning the loss of a loved one. And as I could feel my frustration starting to make my blood boil, I was reminded that the punctuation behind valley is a comma and not a period, which means that there's more to read. So if I read it again, it would read as such, even when I walk through the darkest valley, comma, I will not be afraid, comma, for you are close beside me, period. I was reminded that my God is not a drill sergeant. He does not yell and scream at me in the valley. He does not break me down to build me up. I was reminded that my God is not a motivational speaker. He does not look to inspire or motivate me out of the valley. He does not minimize my pain to help me overcome my situation. I was reminded that my God is a shepherd 
a shepherd who is with me in the valley, a shepherd who uses his rod to protect me and his staff to guide me through the valley, and a shepherd who has prepared a feast for me in the presence of my enemies on the other side of this valley. Listen, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I do know that someone does. Your valley is not your end. Your valley is not your home. And your valley is not your forever. Listen, our shepherd does not protect us from the valley. He protects us in the valley. And if we desire to live in the house of the Lord forever, we must see his presence in our protection. And lastly, we must see his presence in our peace. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. As we learned last week from Pastor Dom, oil was used as protection for sheep. The shepherd would pour oil over the sheep to protect them from parasites. But let me also submit to you that God's goodness and unfailing love are both provisions from him. So it leads me to say this. If our peace cannot be found in the provision and protection of God, then it cannot be found. If the peace that we desire, if the peace that transcends all understanding cannot be found in God's provision and protection, then it cannot be found. You see, our peace, our peace comes from knowing that all that we need has been provided for. Our peace Our peace comes from knowing that no matter the the valley, no matter the situation, no matter the trial, our God and our shepherd is with us in the midst of it, protecting us. So if our peace cannot be found in his provision and protection, then my friends, it cannot be found. Philip Keller ends his exposition of Psalms 23 by stating this, I will live surrounded by his presence. I am an open person, an open individual living life open to his scrutiny. He is conscious of every circumstance I encounter. He tends me with care and concern because I belong to him. It is a privilege to belong to Christ. And this will continue through eternity. What an assurance I shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Bless his name. Do me a favor. Do not wait until the end of your life to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do not wait until your story is over and your chapter is done and the book is closed for you to live in the house of the Lord forever. Do me a favor and return to his house every single morning by dwelling in his presence. Would you stand with me? I end with this. Benjamin Button said, it's a funny thing about coming home. Looks the same, smells the same, feels the same. You'll realize what's changed is you. It's a funny thing about Psalms 23. It looks the same, smells the same, feels the same, 
what you'll realize is what's changed is you. You see, oftentimes, life can only be understood backwards, yet it must be lived forward. But on the off chance that we can live it backwards, let it be said of us, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. My cup overflows with blessings. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He renews my strength. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He lets me rest in green meadows. I have all that I need because the Lord is my shepherd. 